My name is Scott Challoner, and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a very warm spring day here in the capital, and I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show to hopefully add even more brightness to affairs is Nina Dukes, podiatrist and director at Life and Soul, a podiatry and health clinic based in Suffolk. Uh, Nina, very warm welcome to yourself today, and by all means, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks. Scott, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure, Nina, having you on the uh, the programme with us. Uh, now, I understand that this is uh, Life and Soul, the first sort of podiatry business that you've led, but you've actually sort of been in the industry for a hell of a lot longer than that. So there's plenty of experience, isn't there, to, uh, to draw off when it comes to sort of running your own business? Yeah, I've been a podiatrist since um, 1985, <laughs> many years ago, mm. and there's three years training before that. So um, I've seen a lot of changes in the business and um, I've worked in all areas of the business as well, from NHS to private and um, hospitals, community, and then slowly built up my own practice until um, I'm now full-time, at, well, not full-time, but I own, you know, I'm the director at Life and Soul as well as a podiatrist working in the company. Yeah, and having worked in the sector for so many years, um, did you always kind of have an idea that opening your own clinic and sort of having your own business was going to be the way forward for you? Um, probably. And at one time, I, I, you know, I actually was one hundred percent happy to work in the NHS, and um, felt that NHS, you know, healthcare was the way to go. But it changed, and. Um, in 2012, I, I was working as a diabetes specialist in the hospital, mm. local hospital, and the um, department the, decided that they would they would let Circo run the whole of the podiatry department in that part of East Anglia, and um, they were looking for redundancies, and um, that was when I just thought, you know what, I'm working really hard, and I was. When you treat people with diabetes with complex foot problems, it's not about time; it's about it's quality of service, not the amount of units that you produce that you get through. Mm. And I didn't like the way they were going to be counting my productivity. They weren't looking necessarily at how many limbs I was helping to save, but how many um, people were, you know, bumps on feet, so to speak. And I thought that's not the way I want to work because um, it just can't, it doesn't work. And as happened, Circo did actually um, get rid of the contract a few years later and it became back to um, a health, uh, health authority. But at the time, I was just, I thought, well, no, I can't work like that. I'm not, you know, a cut and come again kind of girl. You know, I want to do my job properly. So that really forced me to look at things. I put my hand up and um, took redundancy, but I actually didn't take the redundancy payment. I just took a retirement because I was 50 then. Mm. And, um, and I then 100% was working privately. And it was a bit scary to start off with because you don't have that backdrop of knowing you're going to be paid every month. And, um, but I had already started a little practice at the, um, that I, I rented rooms um, in a complementary medicine center. I, I actually helped to start a company called the Complementary Medicine Center in, in I. Um, and that was in 1999, I think. And we, so I was working a few days a week there, 
So it was not such a huge jump to suddenly leave the NHS and go to nothing starting from scratch. I already had a business that I had built up over many years and, and having worked for so many years locally, I was quite well known to the GPs and the specialists and had lots of um, word of mouth clients. So mm-hmm. I was very lucky. Yeah, it seems uh, the case and it's fantastic how you managed to sort of take, kind of take the plunge there and really kind of build yourself up over that period of time. Um, obviously, sort of looking at more recent affairs, let's say, the healthcare sector has suffered an immense amount of um, upheaval over the last couple of years with the emergence of COVID, of course, and all of the disruption that that's um, sort of brought with it. Um, for your business, um, how was it sort of adjusting to the challenges that that threw at you? Because Life and Soul would have only been sort of four years old, wouldn't it, when it all hit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we were a really happy, successful, buzzy little business. We're right in the centre of, of I, which is a beautiful market town, right on the corner of the, of the centre of town. And um, as such, people would pop in, they would, you know, they'd see their friends in the waiting room and there was always kind of a party atmosphere and we had four room four rooms so we had clinics upstairs where different therapists would rent space off us on an hourly rate so we um were trying to help new businesses to get started with very low rent and it we had acupuncture homeopathy massage reflexology all, all about 10 different therapists renting space off us as well as our core business which was you know, foot health, foot doctoring, um, podiatry is is you know all about keeping people active and moving and and looking after their feet. And um, but we shared our building with a lot of other people, so the waiting room was always full, and people would have teas and coffees and magazines, and you know, quite often they just come in to say hi to my husband because Gareth is the practice manager mm. and um, a real sweetheart. He he's runs reception and people just would come in and say hi to him and they'd have a little chat and it was a, a kind of community place and suddenly overnight nobody's allowed in the waiting room you've got one patient at a time all the other therapists were decided well they couldn't work because their professional bodies said they weren't allowed to have face-to-face contact um we had to we went from seven members of staff down to um, furloughing who we could and basically just phoning people well we became an emergency service so we could then only see emergency patients um, so one patient a day our income went down to about five percent in the, in a month of what we had been earning <laughs> so it was like a dramatic change and quite shocking yeah, so um, not to mention, not to mention mm. the, the horrendous cost of PPE, because as mm. a medical practice, we'd always always use gloves and aprons and masks when we needed to. I didn't wear masks very often, um, just certain procedures. But a box of gloves went from seven pounds a box to twenty five pounds a box, and then you're not earning any money to pay for all that stock, mm. and you know it was it was hard. But we were really really lucky because we had. The people that lent us the money to buy the business, to buy the building, gave us a mortgage holiday. Um, patients would come in and say, "Look, do you need? We want to keep you, keep you going. We re- we really appreciate you guys. You're okay, are you?" And they would come in and say, "Do you need any money? Do you want to a loan?" And it, was, it was really, really hot, you know, moving. 
to mm. experience the kind of support we had. And, and I just felt in some ways it was that a lot of good has come out of it because we've, we, people became kind. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think we've seen a lot of sort of positives despite all the tragedy, haven't we? I think that kind of community spirit, communities sort of rallying around their businesses and organizations is very important as well. But I think something else that's good that's come out of it is that kind of period of self-reflection that we've had, isn't it? And I think think we value sort of our mental health and our work-life balance more and it's really kind of amplified our awareness of that, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that made us look at our practice and um, fortunately, a lot of did rent space, um, worked from home, and they all learned how to do Zoom <laughs> pretty quick. And they, their businesses thrived. Some of them, the, the homeopaths, have never been busier because people still need support. And, you know, they're, they're, people feel safe. But as far as I'm personally concerned, I found it really, when we did start working more, because, you know, we, we went down to, just treating emergencies, diabetics for ulcers, mm. you know, um, care workers and people that were emergency services, we would see them to keep them on their feet. Um, but when it, we started working more in that awful wearing plastic aprons all day long and masks, I was getting skin rashes and feeling quite dizzy with having to wear a mask in the heat, I decided to go down to three days a week myself. And thought, I'm not going to spend my life in a bloody mask. It's just so hard. <laughs> and I spent more time in my garden and started growing more flowers. So personally, I, you know, I maybe got a better work-life balance as a result. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So it it made and also it made us look at the business as a whole. And I think we you know actually we don't need to be a complementary medicine centre. All these other lovely people that did work with us, they're all fine. And we are now really much more focusing on our our business as a podiatry clinic. So we're 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 in the process of doing the website. And um, I've never been too keen on the social media, um, Facebook or. Um, I like Instagram for pretty pictures, but we because we're so local, people know us by word of mouth, and we're really, mm. really busy. So we don't kind of need to do that. But I, but when when you got in contact and said, um, you know, invited me onto this, I thought, oh my goodness, because <laughs> I go and look and see what LinkedIn is is telling the world about me, and, and there's a photo on there that was at least twenty years old. So I did have to have a little laugh at um, at that. So we're now we're now looking at ourselves as a as you know, a more efficient podiatry business, and um, and looking at the next generation because I'm 60 this year, and loving I love being the age I am. I love having had sort of experience, and I still love being a podiatrist. But I also love growing flowers and you know doing stained glass and other things. And I think now because probably because of COVID, the way we're looking at our business, we will be able to take on more staff and bring on people who want to become podiatrists and, um, you know, then see the next generation of podiatrists and hopefully keep a foot clinic running in our town because there are not many of us. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose you probably get a great sense of satisfaction, don't you, from that sort of role in overseeing the development of that next generation of podiatrists, because it is incredibly important yeah. and it's um, an, yeah, an area of healthcare that's, that's not talked about a great, a great deal as well. 
And yeah. um, what's also quite positive as well with this younger generation that's coming through, given how they've sort of lived through COVID, there is again yeah. just going back to that kind of mental health awareness, a lot more kind of oh, yeah. emphasis placed on that. And I think, especially when it comes to leadership of uh, businesses of organisations, I think safeguarding the mental health of our colleagues, looking out for our colleagues, and also making sure that we sort of take that step back as and when we need to. It is incredibly yeah. important, isn't it? Um, so it's good to see that that's really going to be sort of prioritised in this post-COVID world, I think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mental health used to be a real stigma that nobody spoke about. I personally, my my mum had schizophrenia all my life, so I grew up with, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> all my friends thought I just had a crazy mum and they didn't come around too often. Um, and that wasn't an easy comp you know no not a lot of people didn't know even know about my mum because we didn't talk about craziness in the family and and then as time now things have developed people talk about anxiety lots of people have anxiety and depression it's, it's super common and so um because we have more conversations about it we there are lots we're learning ways of dealing with it and it's not unusual you know, most people do experience periods in their life where they do feel anxious or depressed. Mm. And it's good that that is actually seen as a real thing. It's not just it's not just people being slack or crazy. It's people who are actually, um, they're, they're not very well and they need some help and support. And, um, yeah, we are much better, I think, as a society at trying to understand these issues. But unfortunately, where we live in Suffolk, I think we're actually on record as the worst part of the country for mental health. Mm. And um, that is, that it's shocking and it's awful. Uh, I personally know quite a lot of cases of suicide, especially in young men, <clears throat> not related to COVID. This was before COVID. But since I've heard of um, a lot of really tragic things that have happened during COVID and, and um, aside from members of staff and how we look after them and we, we do support our staff like a family but it's also the clients we've noticed um the elderly population that are lonely and frightened you know that's been really um eye-opening very many of mm. the the elderly people in in the world but particularly in in Suffolk there there's no public transport now or the public transport is terrible they're all scared of of mixing. Well, they were. It's getting slightly better now. But if they've got no kids or no family nearby and they can't get on a bus and nobody's visiting because they're scared to let them in their door, they, a lot of them are actually really suffering. And we might have been the only person they've spoken to in weeks when they come in to have their feet looked at. So we get we hear about their challenges and then we also see that there's nothing out there to help them. You know, and it's it's really hard. Mm. In the past, we had daycare. You know, if, if, if there was a an elderly person who wanted to, I don't know, have help with personal care or have have uh, go and have tea, they could they could go to gate daycare units and get help when they, especially if they had disabilities. That's all gone. They've all closed down. And I don't know if that's because it's government policy or if it's um, or what it is, but it's really there's no support now, and it, we see it. We see it. We see people going from sparkly, lively, 
85-year-olds coming in with their lipstick and, you know, straight hats to coming in and just not bothering to wash. And you see that change in people over the last year or two. And, uh, yeah, it's mm. difficult. And I don't see any, any end to it because there's not much support in the community for these people. Yeah, and, something's got to yeah. change, hasn't it, on that front, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's got to change. Because, more and more people yeah. are getting diagnoses with Alzheimer's and dementia, and they have to pay for their own care, and, and their families don't know how to deal with it. And, it, it, you know, it's hard to care for your own parents. And, um, yeah, but, but my, we actually, one of the people we had to furlough was my, my, our own daughter who works with us. She's a podiatry assistant, so she works alongside me. But she also worked in care during... Um, she used to do part-time care and part-time psychiatry assistant and we she couldn't work in our practice because we couldn't have her going in and out of nursing homes and then coming into our practice and so she essentially had um, very little work herself and that affected her mental health and we saw how you know her and her friendship group really did suffer during COVID but happy to say that she's okay now and she's working That's towards, good. You know, back with that. Mm. But the, the whole thing is she was the, the, back, getting back to the nursing homes, she was going into different nursing homes as um, well, what, what actually happened is that she was supposed to go travelling and I think their date for leaving occurred about two weeks after the announcement that there was this nasty virus coming from China mm. and I said look, just hold horses, don't go travelling around the world <laughs> on Chinese airlines just yet because something is coming. So they didn't go and um, their friends who had gone before were sending lovely pictures on Instagram of their fabulous life in New Zealand and travelling around and, and the ones that got left behind really, you know, it was it was harsh. So they didn't go and so my daughter then had to um, try and find some you know, get back to work and as she'd given up her job she signed on to some agency care work because she saw that there was a real need and that's when she was being sent to different nursing homes with no PPE so that was the beginning mm. of all her ang- you know a lot of anxiety because she knew how she was supposed to be donned and she would arrive and there was no instruction and no PPE and, and that's where again you know, I really do hold the government responsible for that one. So mm. that was really um, badly advised. Yeah. And that's a whole other su- subject. That's a whole other avenue we could go down on um, the way the elderly were treated in care homes and the way that they were so unprepared. And they shouldn't have been unprepared because there was actually a pandemic policy written years before the pandemic. But why nobody looked at it? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's staggering, isn't it? And there's a lot it to unpack. It's a lot to unpack yeah. on sort of how it was managed, particularly yeah. in those early days. And yeah. I suppose sort of thinking yeah. about like sort of how we can really, well, in the government's own words, build back better following the pandemic. Um, there's yeah. been an awful amount of goodwill toward healthcare staff and carers as a result of COVID because of the incredible work that they've been doing. And now yeah, I think we maybe. can almost capitalize on that and use that as kind of a pressure tool can't we to really make sure that these services are properly resourced and then we can avoid those issues that we talked about i hope Hmm. yeah yeah i really really hope so but um you know i've got i've got a great friend who's a district nurse and she's going to retire because things have just been 
so awful, mm. so hard. And, you know, the nurses didn't get the pay rise, but the GPs did. You know, the GPs were sitting behind their plastic screens and talking to people on the phone, Absolutely. sending the district nurses to do all the work when they were already overstretched. And they didn't even, it was a kick in the teeth. And you think, you know, the government are full of wise words and, you know, um, soothing sayings, but we're not really getting the money where their sayings are. You know, it's, 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 it's all very easy to come out with platitudes about improvement and Boris's golden new age. But I d- <laughs> a lot has got to change. Mm. And one of the things is to support our nursing staff who are amazing. And clapping doesn't do it. That's absolutely right. A lot has it, to change. It just makes me so mad. It's mm. one of my soapbox issues because I, you know, my friends had COVID twice. She's been nursing people with COVID. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been really hard to see, you know, her on her knees. And she's a fantastic nurse, but she's, she's, you know, so many of them are going and this is what's happening. Our, some of our most experienced workforce are actually leaving, leaving their professions early because they're, they're completely rinsed out. So hopefully the government will look at this and, and maybe a new government <laughs> in the future will look at this and see what the people that are really support, keeping the country going as a, need to be looked after better. Exactly right. Those people that are the backbone of this country do need to be looked after better. I think that's very true. And uh, yeah. thinking about sort of the uh, the future now, just before we wrap up for sort of yourself and your business, uh, Nina, given Ooh. how this challenge has been so incredible and we're seeing the real dark legacy of that. What's next for sort of yourself and life and soul, do you think, over the next 12 Um, months and beyond? Well, uh, next 12 months, we're going to continue um, to welcome back our clients and keep them safe. We're we're still being encouraged to um, use our PPE the way we always have. So, you know, that. COVID hasn't gone away. Mm. It has got more milder in its effects. But as, as we stand today, there are more cases of COVID in the country than ever. And we follow the um, COVID-19 out by Professor Tim Spector of King's College. So we we are still mindful that it's, it's out there. But we're, we're keeping our clients safe. We'll continue to be in business. And um, look for more young podiatrists who want to join us. and. Um, you know, keep our practice going. We don't. We're not necessarily into bigger and better. We we, we like small is beautiful. <laughs> we like Schumacher's economics of um, local. Keep it local. Mm. Um, we hope to become more sustainable again because the amount of plastic that got used during COVID as well was also heartbreaking. Mm. So um, all I could find was just biodegradable aprons, but everything else was not. So, um, yeah, keep sustainable, keep happy, and keep growing flowers. And <laughs> I'll uh, just, you know, I, I'm so blessed because I really love what I do for a living. Mm. And um, just, you know, we'll still be here and um, we will recover. And we'll welcome anybody from Ukraine who wants to come and work in our business. Mm, it is incredibly <laughs> dark any, times there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, mm. you know, we, we were offering... To, we had some Afghanistan refugees down the road and we did write to the people that were in charge of them and said, you know, we'll come and they can come and have free treatment. They've traveled a long way. and But you, we never heard anything. We heard, we got a little thank you and yes, we'll be in touch. But 
There are so many people in the world that are displaced that need help, and we could do a lot more to, you know, make it one fabulous world. Mm, we could oh. certainly, we could, and it's and it's going to be interesting to see whether we actually do sort of step up to the uh, the plate on that one, isn't it? And yeah, um, yeah. But in the meantime, sister in law is Ukrainian, so we'll yeah. we're keeping the, ahead of that, abreast of that too. Mm, so yes, in the meantime. <laughs> Um, an infectious dose of positivity and optimism because I think it's certainly needed in the times that we're going through for Sean Nina and um, it's been wonderful and really positive having you join us on the programme despite some of the topics that we've discussed today and uh, like I say I do sort of wish you all the luck in the world with the endeavours that you have going forward and like I say I mean maybe in future it would be good to sort of have you back on the show and hear more about how the clinic's getting on. Yeah that would be brilliant that would be really great thank you very much for asking. It's been wonderful, and um, do also, Nina, by all means, take care and stay safe with all that's still going on. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Scott. It was a pleasure welcoming Nina Dukes from Life and Soul onto today's show, and I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview. If you run your own business or organisation and have been listening today and you feel that you have your own story of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we also want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk? forward slash apply until next time to all of our regular listeners you've been listening to the leaders council podcast i've been your host scott challoner and until next time take care and goodbye